This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, today we're continuing with our latest series called Saved. And throughout this series, we've been exploring the book of Ephesians together, verse by verse, one chapter at a time, and looking at what it means to live a saved life, a life that is fully loved and graced and reconciled, unified, made alive, and raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you have your Bibles with you today, go with me once again to the book of Ephesians. We'll begin right there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Let's jump right in, and here's what it says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Picking right up from where we ended last week, Paul here, in speaking to the church at Ephesus, in verse 1, begins by saying, I, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, this is strong language, but as a reminder, Paul is writing this letter while in prison. And, of course, there's some debate about you know, and amongst scholars about who uh, actually wrote this letter and whether or not he was really writing while imprisoned in Rome or in Ephesus. But the fact remains, Paul's in jail and he's being held captive for preaching the gospel. But rather than bemoan this fact, rather than complain and cry about it, he's embracing it as an opportunity to glorify Jesus. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Some translations like the NASB say a prisoner of the Lord. And this is helpful because it demonstrates to us that regardless of what's going on in our own lives, regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in or facing, we can live with an elevated and more godly perspective about what we're going through. Rather than seeing his imprisonment as something happening to him, Paul sees it as something happening for him. And there's a big difference. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, I'm being held captive for Jesus. There's a specific reason the Lord has allowed this to happen, and he's going to use it for his glory and for my good. Amen. And so I believe you and I need to embrace the same kind of posture and attitude when we're going through hard times. And it's difficult, but we need to look at things that happen to us as really things that happen for us because the truth is they are actually setting us up to see God show up and show off on our behalf in a big way. As a result, Paul goes on here to say in the next part of that verse, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. As the people of God, we have all been given a calling from God. Did you know that? And we see this get fleshed out in two primary ways. Number one, a general calling for all believers. And number two, specific callings, or we could call them assignments, for each person. So let's address the first one, our general calling as believers. As Christ followers in the earth, we've all been called to do ministry. We've all been called out of darkness and brought into God's kingdom of marvelous light. So that we can, number one, declare God's praise, and number two, make disciples of all nations. So I want to establish a few important points about this general calling because we tend to hear a lot about the great commission, you know, to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. We've mostly all heard that. And we see this most clearly in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. If you spend any time around Christians or even at a Christian church, you've probably heard this language communicated in some form or fashion. But I want to pause here just for a moment, and I want to point out something that I think is often overlooked 
about this general calling. And we discover it actually a few verses earlier, before verses 19 and 20. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 17, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, even though some doubted. Now, why did the eleven go to Galilee? And what about this mountain that Jesus had directed them to? Okay, these seem like simple details, but I want us to see this. Let's back up just a little bit further in the same chapter, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said he would. Come, see the place where he lay. Verse 7, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on the way and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So after Jesus' resurrection, the angel tells both Marys who had gone to the tomb that Jesus is risen, and he tells them to go tell the other disciples the news. As they go to do so, Jesus shows up, and they grab a hold of his feet and worship him. And so Jesus then tells the women to go and tell the other disciples to go to Galilee, and there they will also encounter him. It's later in verse 16 that we discover just a little bit more about this directive that Jesus gave them. It says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. In other words, the disciples' first directive, or first calling, we could say, was to encounter Jesus at the mountain. And what is the result of encountering Jesus? It's worship. Just like we see with both Marys who fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him, the other disciples, verse 17 says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And I want to say this to us. Worship is always our first calling and our first ministry. It's a calling unto the Lord to worship him and him alone, to minister first and foremost to his heart. Many of us get trapped worshiping the work of the Lord rather than worshiping the Lord of the work. Did you catch that? Meaning it's so easy because we get so focused on making disciples and fulfilling the great commission that we lose sight of the great commandment. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the truth is we cannot love others until we've learned how to love God, and that happens through worship. In worship, our hearts and souls become calibrated to love the way God loves, to give the way God gives, to serve the way God serves. Jesus came as a testament to this. He came not to be served, but rather to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The word 
to serve in the New Testament is actually where we get the word ministry from. To minister is essentially to serve. It's to become a servant to someone. And in the same way that we worship God, we demonstrate that through a life of serving him, of loving him, through giving our hearts to him, through singing, and yes, even declaring his praises. First Peter chapter 2, 9 in the NIV says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So in this sense, we're all spiritual priests because we're all part of God's chosen and royal priesthood. Sometimes this teaching is referred to as the priesthood of all believers, and it implies that all of us have received a general calling to do ministry, to serve God and to serve others. So we fulfill our general calling as believers through the way that we worship God and declare his praise and through the way that we make disciples of all nations and peoples. We minister first and foremost to God and we minister to people. You tracking with me today? Okay. In addition to this general calling that we've all received, each person has specific callings, or we might even call them assignments from God that are unique to that person. So for example, God has called me generally to serve him and to worship him and to serve others and minister to them, but he's also called me to specifically shepherd, teach, and lead people. So as a pastor, that's what I do. You may have been specifically called to be a dentist or a lawyer or a stay-at-home mom or an accountant. Those are specific vocations or assignments that you can do to fulfill both your general calling and your specific calling. And I'll also say this, the spiritual gifts that God gives you will back those things up. They will play a role or a part in you being able to function well within those callings or assignments. Now, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this one verse. But I think it's actually really important for us to understand, to to create a framework for what comes next. So many people are frustrated because they're not living out of their specific calling. And as a result, they, they might have a job or even a career, but they don't know their calling, or we could even say their purpose. And knowing your purpose is everything. Knowing why God put you here on this earth in the family that he did at this particular moment in time is absolutely paramount. So many of us struggle in life because we don't know how to connect our calling to our career. And as a result, we're unfulfilled and often burn out. And truth is, all of us have a specific calling on our life and a purpose for which God created us to fulfill uniquely. There's a reason why The Purpose Driven Life by author and pastor Rick Warren is still one of the best-selling books of all time because people want to know why they exist and what to do about it. So let me encourage you, spend some time praying about your purpose and calling and talk to people that you trust. As my pastor used to say, you need to have people in your life that know you and know you. You get it? You need to have those in your life that know who you are and what you're good at and how that might help you in figuring out your calling. And you need people in your life that can say no to you, that can help you steer clear of making mistakes or wasting your time on things that you're not called to. And I can't stress how important enough That is, so get some people like that in your life. So, picking up where we were left off, we have a general calling and a specific calling as believers. And Paul says, it's so that we should walk in a manner worthy worthy 
of that calling that we've received. In other words, your walk should be consistent with your calling. It should honor that calling and revere that calling in a way and in the way that you live your life. And so how do we do that? Paul actually goes on to give us and provide us the answer in verse 2. He says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. With all humility and gentleness. In other words, you don't walk proudly, you stay humble. And you do so with gentleness. The Greek word here means meekness, uh, a full reliance on God rather than your own self and your own talents, which leads to patience, which is being okay, knowing how to wait on things and for things to happen. And of course, bearing with one another in love. Love is like the capstone that brings it all together. Love is ultimately what it all comes down to. So how do we live a life worthy of the calling we've received? We do so by loving ourselves and each other well, which leads us to verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Not only are we called to walk in humility with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, but we are to do so eager. This is the key word here eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. This means we don't just tolerate each other or put up with one another. Okay, I guess I have to, right? No, we eagerly look for ways to maintain unity with each other through the spirit of God. And why is this so important right now? Well, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but so much of our nation is being divided right now. And with it, even the church and even believers are divided on issues pertaining to what we're all going through right now in this cultural moment. And it's so easy to choose division over unity because unity is costly and unity is always a choice. Did you catch that? Unity is costly and unity is always a choice. I heard one pastor say that God can't force anybody into unity, that unity must always be chosen and fought for. And I believe that. It's one of the main reasons that right before Jesus' own death on that cross, he had our unity on his heart. In his high priestly prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, he said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus' heartbeat is that the church would be one. And it's really our oneness that is always been under attack, even within our own families and our own marriages, I can attest to. It's always oneness that is the hardest thing to achieve and maintain or even protect. And Paul is saying, do everything that you can to maintain or protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our bond is peace because Jesus himself is our peace. Therefore, our bond is Jesus. We are united first and foremost to Christ and secondly to each other. That's why the New Testament uses the language of being wed to Christ, of being the bride of Christ, and of course, being brothers and sisters in the Lord. We don't use that language as much as we used to in the church these days, but I think it's still valuable and true. We have been called to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is one of the most important things that we can be after right now. And it should give us pause as to what we're doing and saying on Facebook and how we're treating those that disagree with us even politically. Amen? Amen? And here's why. Verses 4 through 6. There is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow. There is really only one body or bride of Christ and one Holy Spirit, just as we were, were all called to this one hope that belongs to our calling. And then he qualifies it for us even more. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of us all. Did you notice all of that oneness language? And where does it exist first and foremost? Within God himself. Because God himself is a God of oneness. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's the Shema, and it's actually from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it was and is a daily recitation and declaration by Jewish believers that God is one. It affirms his oneness. It's actually considered to be one of the most essential prayers in all of Judaism. And Jews everywhere would affirm this reality about God each and every day. And so here Paul is remind us, reminding us that God is one. And that from his oneness, out of his oneness, comes our one faith and our one baptism, our one hope, our one unity, his own spirit, and us coming together to be his body. This is also why Jesus instructs his disciples to take communion regularly. And he says to do this in remembrance of me, right? Remembering, bringing together. When we remember who God is and what he wants for our lives, and we remember or regather around what is most important about our faith, that is obviously Jesus Christ, that is God's only son broken and given to us so that we could have his peace and be in common unity with each other. So no matter what personal beliefs you may have about certain things going on in our nation right now, there is so much more, hear me on this, so much more that unites us than divides us as believers, amen? Especially as those who are already in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, as we saw a couple chapters ago. And so we remember this reality, and we do so by obviously reading God's word, by gathering together, by practicing his presence, by praying, by coming together when we can. Otherwise, we're going to get distracted by so many other things in the world and everything that's happening right now. Verse 7, but grace, here we go, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace, oh, but for the grace of God we go, amen? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Grace, he says, was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace, as we understand it, is the unearned and undeserved favor of God, and it was given to each one of us the moment we believed, according to the measure or height, width, and depth of Christ's gift. I like the way the NIV says it here. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What Paul's getting at here is that Christ has apportioned it or measured out grace for our lives. And the good news is that Christ has apportioned it, not you or me, not our fathers, not our mothers, not our teachers or professors. No, Christ has given it and Christ decides what you need. So when Paul would say things like, your grace is sufficient for me, he's acknowledging that God knows what's best that Jesus knows what he's actually doing, and that the grace that Christ has apportioned for Paul's life is more than sufficient or capable of helping him face any storm or situation that he's going through. And this is good news for us, I believe, as well, because it means that the grace that God has given you is also sufficient and capable of helping you face whatever comes your way. And that should be an encouragement to all of us to persevere and to press forward in faith. Amen?
verses 8 through 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, that's Jesus, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, this is kind of a perplexing verse here, but Paul is pointing out that because of Jesus' death and descension down into the lower regions of the earth, or sometimes we would say uh, or call that Hades, uh, where he proclaimed good news to all the captives that were there, those that died while in faith, uh, while having a faith in God like Abraham and his seed, that because of this action, because of what Christ did, we also know that he went far above all the highest heavens, leading all of those captives with him in his train. And then, of course, he gave gifts to men. So the question becomes, how did he give such gifts to us? In the same way that he apportions out grace for our lives through the sending of his Holy Spirit. He gives grace and he gives gifts and callings accompanying them through the power of the Spirit with the purpose that he might, as the text says here, fill all things. As I've said during this series and many times before, the heartbeat of God is to dwell with man. It has always been his intention to fill us in all things with himself that he would live his life in us and through us. The mystery of Christ revealed is that God wants to express his life through you. And that's what Paul is speaking about here when he talks about Christ, the hope of glory in us. It's that the God of the universe wants to make our hearts his home. And this is utterly awe-inspiring. Verses 11 through 12, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Our friend and guest speaker Garrett Prechtel spoke on this back in July, but here Paul continues by speaking about what is often referred to as the five-fold ministry. We have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Some people like to combine those last two. Now, some people believe that Paul wasn't being exhaustive with his list here, and others believe that he was. But regardless of whether he was or wasn't, it's important for us to recognize the value of each of these gifts, or we could say callings or offices that he mentions. Apostles build and plant and oversee the work of local pastors or shepherds. Prophets speak the words of God with wisdom and insight and encourage people in their faith through a strong emphasis on what God is saying right now, not just later. Evangelists share good news and point people to Jesus. They are often gifted to persuade and convince other people to repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Shepherds, on the other hand, or we would call them pastors, poimen uh, is the word we see in the Greek, they love and care for the church, the flock of God. And I like that the ESV uses the word shepherd here because it really emphasizes what pastors are supposed to do. Look after and care for people. And then, of course, teachers, which can teach the word of God and make the truths of God plain and accessible to all people. Now, I'm generalizing a little bit with all of these, but I hope it paints a clearer picture of how they equip the body for the work of ministry. That's all of us. And the goal is that we would all be built up within the body. That's the primary reason that God gives those gifts in the first place, to edify and build up the church, to make her strong and courageous. That's a big reason why God called Candace and I here to Salt Lake in the first place. Verses 13 through 14. 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Meaning we've got a long ways to go. To mature manhood or to maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So what's the reason God appoints all these different roles within the body of Christ? So that we can, once again, attain to the unity of the faith. There's that unity element we should be fighting for. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Knowing uh, knowledge being not just information, but a real transformational relationship with Jesus. So that, here's the ultimate purpose, we can reach maturity together to become mature or to measure up to the fullness of Christ. Friends, becoming like Jesus is the goal for all of our lives. Becoming mature and more like him, full of his spirit, is the goal for every believer because there's so much false doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and philosophies and arguments being made to try and blow you and I off course and to capsize our boats, if you will. They're trying to disrupt your life through deceitful schemes. Think of it like a ship that's charting a course for a particular destination. The enemy would love nothing more than to toss you around and beat you up and get you headed in the wrong direction. He'd love to mess with your life that way, and that's often what he tries to do. And maybe you're watching today, and that's exactly how you feel. You feel like your life has been tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every popular new teaching that's come along. But friends, I want to encourage you today to set your eyes on Jesus and the commands of Christ, to set your heart on him and to become planted in a local church where local pastors and shepherds and prophets and teachers and evangelists can care for you and build you up in the faith. Part of the reason why many people struggle is because they're not planted where they need to be anchored, we could say, to the right kinds of people and things. We spoke about that a lot during our Flourish series, and I'd like to encourage you to go back and listen to it again if you haven't. Church, we need to become mature and grown up in our thinking and way of doing life. Many of us have been following Jesus for a long time, but we're still playing in the mud. We're still obsessing over foolish things like C.S. Lewis talks about, and it's time for us to grow up. It's time to put away childish things or thinking and become mature in Christ. That means it's time to serve someone other than yourself. It's time to give and invest your gifts and talents and treasures in things that are not about you. Come on. I know this is a challenge, but I want you to hear the Lord's voice in this because he loves you and he wants the best for you. And because he loves you and wants the best for you, he wants you to grow and mature in him. He doesn't want you to be in the same spot that you were a year ago or a month ago, or even a day ago. And I believe that this is the time for the church to arise and shine, amen? To grow up and to be all that God wants us to be. And lastly, verses 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says rather, meaning rather than being tossed around or beat up by the wind or the storms of life or by all that craftiness and, and teaching, we grow up as evidenced by our ability to speak the truth in love. Some of us come from traditions where the focus is all on love, but truth is sacrificed. Some of us come from traditions where the focus is all on truth, but there's no love. 
And the reality is we need both. We need to be people that can speak the truth in love. I've always said that truth is the message and love is the method. Can I repeat that? Truth is the message and love is the method. Many people are not going to receive truth from us if we're shouting at them or being mean. Come on, I know that's a challenge for a lot of us, including me. And many people are not going to respect us if all we ever do is capitulate to them and never stand up for what's right or true. We need both truth in love so that we can grow up in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped by the prophets, pastors, teachers, apostles, and so forth, can grow together in love. Friends, that's ultimately what God wants for our lives. He wants us to grow up together, and he wants us to do so in love. I'll end with this reminder from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-3. through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. People of God, you were made for love, you were made to be loved, and you were made to love others. If we get really good at doing ministry and the stuff, but lose sight of this, it's all for nothing, Paul says. If we've memorized all the scriptures and have all the faith in the world, but cannot love people, we're missing the point. And friends, I don't want you to miss the point. As we head into this election season, let's not miss the point. Let's not miss this opportunity that God is placing before us to love the way Jesus loves. And how did Jesus love? By dying. By dying for you and dying for me. By giving his life so that we may be saved. Maybe you're watching this today and you don't know Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity right now to know him and to begin a relationship with him, to be filled with his spirit. And that begins by you saying yes to him. Yes to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and to serve him all the days of your life. At Courageous Church, this is our chief desire. This is our mission to help you to do that. So I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again on the third day. Jesus, I ask that you would come now in these moments and fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would give me a life of freedom and hope in you and that you would make all things new. And if you just prayed that, we want to say welcome to the family, and we'd love to know about your decision today. For those of you that said yes to Jesus for the first time, we'd love to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or wherever you're watching from today. And you can do this. You can go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital connect card that we've placed right there on the homepage. And this will help our team know how to best follow up with you in the days ahead and pray for you. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey and sending you a Bible and helping you take what we like to call some next steps. For those of you that are here local in the Salt Lake City Valley, we're going to begin gathering at City Hall Park in Holiday starting next weekend, Sunday, September 13th at 10 a.m. And we'd love to see you there. We're also going to be celebrating our one-year anniversary as a church. Come on, it's exciting. And we've asked Jurassic Tacos to come out and cook for us. It's going to be so awesome. As always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we want to remind you to honor God 
with your giving. Your generosity allows us to do what we do, to preach the gospel, to reach people with the hope and the healing and the courage and life of God. It allows us to further God's mission for all the people of this valley, the Mountain West and beyond. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing with this church to make a huge difference, you can use one of the links that we've posted right there in the comment section. Or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com slash giving to give online. Thanks again for your support in that. We want you to know that we are praying for you. We love you. We believe that you are God's best. You are his masterpiece. So remember, be strong and be courageous. And we'll see you next time. Hey everybody, we are here today in City Hall Park in Holiday with a brand new announcement about our upcoming Church in the Park Sunday morning gatherings at 10 a.m. beginning September 13th. We're going to be gathering together as a church family out here under this beautiful pavilion. We have so many amazing things in store. Candace, tell them what we've got going on for the kids. We're just really excited. Utah families, we want to invite you to bring your preschoolers, your elementary age kids, because we're going to have some awesome things for them Sundays at 10 a.m. And invite your friends, invite your neighbors. It's going to be awesome. You're not going to want to miss out. Yeah, we're going to come together and pray. We're going to do worship, communion. I'm going to preach a message. We'll have fellowship and coffee. It's going to be awesome. We have these beautiful facilities to take advantage of. And of course, we'd love for you to use this as your personal invitation to somebody. So share the video, share the link. Hey, we'll be here on Sunday, September 13th. We hope you will be too. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.